Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Recently, I was confronted in a very nice way by an individual that asked me a very legitimate question. He says, you speak a great deal concerning God's judgment. Why is that? And he told me one of his favorite Bible teachers, and he's a good teacher. And he said, this individual doesn't speak so frequently about God's judgment. And again, why do I? Well, this other Bible teacher, he is very good, but he selects each week what he's going to be speaking on, what he believes that the Lord has put upon his heart to share. I don't question that. I don't have any criticism for him whatsoever. As I said, this one is a very good teacher, but there's a difference. The difference is I do not go and think each week what am I going to be sharing? I've selected several different books of the Bible that I'm working through. So I know what scripture I'm going to be speaking on because it's the passage that comes after the one I just completed. And what I shared with this gentleman, a very nice man, is that the Bible does indeed speak frequently concerning God's judgment. And when we go through the scripture, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we are going to come frequently upon that concept of judgment, the judgment of God. Now, we need to remember something. God commanded us, and I'm speaking about Yeshua. He said, pray for your enemies. And obviously, the context here is to Pray that, that they might repent. Pray that, that they might be softened by God's goodness upon them. But there does indeed come a time when it is appropriate to say to God, God, you are the judge, not me. And perhaps it would be appropriate now that your judgment, your retribution would fall upon them. And this is what we're going to see in today's study from the book of Psalms. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to Psalm 58, the book of Psalms and Psalm 58. Now, this is a very poetic Psalm from a couple different perspectives. What I mean by that is simply that we see great symbolism in the language that is chosen by the author. And the author here is, of course, King David. So look at what it says, and there's an inscription, so we're going to be off one verse, because my first verse in the Hebrew text begins this way. To the chief musician or the choir director, and then we have two words. The phrase in Hebrew, which means, if we translate it, do not destroy. 
Now that's interesting because we see something. Do not destroy, but David is going to pray for destruction by means of God's judgment very quickly. And what we can glean from that is when we look at the rabbinical commentators, they point out this do not destroy, meaning do not allow them to destroy me. David is at a point, and this is important that we see this, that he feels it's either them or him. That his enemies have come to the point where they want to destroy him. And David is saying, do not allow them to be successful, to destroy me. And then we have, as we continue to the end of this inscription, it says, Le David, which means by David, it's of David. And then we have the type of psalm that it is. Once again, it's a mechtam. And a mechtam comes from a concept that the content, the wisdom, the instruction of this psalm is more valuable, better than the finest gold. So this tells us that there is great significance in a practical sense for this world from this psalm. In other words, you should be highly motivated to study this psalm with me whenever we come across the fact that the psalm is a mechtam. Let's begin. Verse 1 in your Bibles, verse 2 in mine. Now, we have a question being posed because the first letter is a Hebrew letter, hey, and in this concept, it is speaking about a question. The next word is indeed. So it's rendering a question. Indeed, it's causing us to ponder something. And we're going to, to this question, come away with a negative response. And here it is. It says, indeed, the, and we have the next term, is a word for being deaf or mute. Being unable to speak. Not just being unable to hear, but the emphasis of this word is being unable to speak. And therefore, the question is, does the mute, do, do they speak righteousness? And obviously, the answer, as I said, is no, because they don't speak at all. And then we have a, another question, and that is, do human beings, it uses the expression b'nai adam, the sons of, of man, meaning human beings. Do, do they judge, literally, will you judge uprightly? Can a man be trusted to judge uprightly in a proper way? And again, the answer is no. The only one who is appropriate to judge is God. And we know biblically, that God the Father and His attributes are the same attributes of His Son, and therefore He has given all judgment to the Son. He will ultimately bring about the vengeance of God, His judgment upon this world, not man. So the deaf who cannot speak, they don't speak righteousness, and human beings don't judge uprightly. That's how it begins. Next verse, speaking about humanity and specifically these evil doers, the ones that David is going to be emphasizing in a moment, his enemies. He says, but 
in the heart, in the heart of these individuals is evilness. Now, this is a word which means that which is contrary to the standards of God. It relates to something that misses out on the, the, the standards of God. That is what is appropriate. So in their heart is evil. Secondly, we see here that they devise. Now, this is a word for action, but it's speaking about in their heart. So instead of doing it, they're plotting. They are conspiring to do evil in their heart. And we know something. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So they're thinking in a wrong way, doing these things that are against the commandments, the statutes, the standards of God. And he says, in the land, because of such individuals, in the land is what? In the land is Hamas violence. So when we think evilly, it's going to manifest itself in violence. Let's read the whole second part of this verse. It says, in the land, your hands, you might say, weigh out violence. So when we think in our hearts about doing evil, that evil is going to be manifested with acts of violence in the land that's going to be measured out, weighed out, that which is going to, to fill the earth. And that is the state of humanity left to himself without a change that, that derives, the originates from God himself. So it just depicts here a situation, a dire situation for the plight of man without God. A godless society is going to be full of wickedness. And people are going to plan this out as we see in the prophets, they're going to lay on their beds at night thinking about the evil things that they want to carry out the next day. Look on to the next verse, verse 4 in Hebrew, 3 in other languages. It says, Zaru. Now, Zar means foreign or a stranger. And what we're seeing here is that these individuals are strange and once more, when we look at the rabbinical commentators that have a great understanding of the Hebrew language, they, they say that strange or foreign can mean someone from a different location, a faraway location. And that's how we should understand this word. It's speaking about those who are far away. Who are far away? These ones who are wicked ones. The wicked ones have gone far away from the womb, meaning this. From the time that they were born, they were moving away from the standards of God, the will of God. They were individuals that did not want to submit to the structure, the framework for the, the people of God, his standards. And I emphasize standards because this is what we should, should strive for. This is how we should think according to the standards of God. If we think about what our standards are, what we want, what we pursue, we're going to be just like these individuals. We're going to be far away from where God wants us to be. So these individuals, wicked ones, 
and they had been far away from the womb. And how do we know that they're, they're in a, a improper state of behavior? Well, they're called in the first part of this verse, Rashaim, meaning wicked ones. And then we have a word for going astray. This is a significant word because what it means is that there is a, a right standard. There is something that is proper, appropriate. And they have gone astray from this. Within this word is not simply someone who is just straying away without any consciousness, without any intent. They kind of just, you know, go off course. This is not what we're saying here. This term has a degree of willful rebelliousness. And that's very important to see. And this has been their, their behavior, their mindset from the very beginning because it says they have gone astray from, and we have a different word for womb, it's literally the word today in modern Hebrew for belly, but they have gone away from the womb. And who's this? Well, they were individuals in the first half that were called wicked ones, and now they're defined as those who speak lies who speak falsely, who speak deceit. So we're seeing something, three things. We see that someone thinks wrong, they speak wrong, and they behave wrong. This is what David's referring to. People from every aspect, they are not behaving according to the will of God, the, the commandments of God. Now move to the next verse. Now, we have a word for, for anger, but most of the commentators, both Jewish scholars and also Christian scholars, they based upon the parallelism of the text. Remember I said, this psalm is highly poetic. And therefore, oftentimes, because of the laws of Hebrew poetry, and that's parallelism, we, we can rightly understand the intent and the meaning from the parallel passage. This should become clearer in a moment. But most will have the word, not anger, but the word for poison or venom, like a, a snake has a poisonous venom. So venom is to them as like the venom of a snake like a, and it uses the term normally translated python, some Bibles may translate it different, but a python, which is, and this is a word for being deaf, not mute, but deaf. What it's speaking about here in this context is a snake that does not pay attention, does not respond. He is deaf to something. He may hear it, but he does not respond. And what doesn't he respond to? Well, it says here that he is like a death python that, that stops up his ears. Now, again, we're going to see in a moment without any doubt that the imagery here is, we've heard of these individuals that they, they play perhaps a flute or some uh, instrument, and that sound causes the snake to behave in a different way and not a, a threatening, not an aggressive way. So there's that term, the snake charmers. Well, here we're speaking about, it's parallelism. It is poetic. It is symbolism in the text. 
These individuals are being likened to snakes. Snakes that cannot be charmed. Snakes that do not listen to anything. That, that music that puts a lot of snakes at ease and relaxing. Not these. They don't pay attention to it whatsoever. They stop up their ears from it. Meaning, nothing changes their wickedness. Nothing changes their unrighteous behavior. And then when you move on to the next verse, it says, it's very clear, verse 6 in Hebrew, 5 in other languages, who will not hear the voice of the whispers. Now, we know that that term whisper, and that's exactly what it is here in the Hebrew. One who is a, a horse whisperer, he is able to calm a horse down. And there's people that seemingly have some ability to interact, to relate with animals in a unique way that they can tame them, they can calm them down. So it speaks here that uh, there may be those individuals that can have that same effect on snakes, but not these snakes, not, and it's symbolic, not these individuals. And it says, a charmer, and the implication is from the context, a snake charmer, a snake whisperer, even though his enchantments, meaning his musics, are, are, are done skillfully with wisdom, he has experience. Even though all of this he has going for him, it has no effect on that snake, meaning those individuals. Now, the image here and what's being shared to us is something very significant. And that is, remember, we talked about a few minutes ago how Messiah said, pray for your enemies. And obviously, this is to pray for, for a godly change. You know, don't want disaster for them. But here, David is saying something. These individuals are not going to be brought to repentance. These individuals do not pay attention to anything that may cause them to behave differently. They are thoroughly committed to evilness, to wickedness, and nothing's going to change that. This is what David is, is conveying to the reader. Now look at the next verse, verse 7 in Hebrew, 6 in other languages. Because of what he's just taught us, these individuals don't pay attention. These individuals aren't changing. They are bent on doing evil. They want to do harm. And therefore, he says, God, not himself, he's not taking matters into his own hands. He says, oh God, destroy. And this is a word for, for making something to be left in ruins. So he says, destroy their teeth in their mouth. So he says, God, you, not him, but God, destroy their teeth within their mouth. And, and he uses a word also for teeth, but I believe most Bibles, and this would be proper, might translate it as fangs. It's speaking about large teeth. And the next word here is tfarim. Tfarim. Kafir is a very young, when I say young, I don't mean one that's a, a lion cub, but one that's fully grown, and he's at his, his peak. He is a young adult lion, 
He is strong, he is ferocious, and he has all of his teeth, and therefore he's very dangerous. This is the imagery that we see here in this verse. And it says, the fangs, those strong teeth of a young, powerful lion break, O Lord. Now, the fact that it says, O Lord, at the end, once again, David, and this is a very important truth that we need to acknowledge, David is not taking things into his own hands. He has not said, I'll judge them. I'll put forth my vengeance. David's not doing that. He's bringing before God, and at times it's appropriate to do this. God, these individuals are, are reprobate. They are, are full of, of hatred. Nothing is changing. They reject anything of, of, of peace, anything having to do with the things of God. They reject that. So you, O oh God, you bring about destruction. You destroy their fangs, O oh God. Finally, he says, look at verse 8. He says, as waters flow about and go forth to them. Now, waters are usually something that is good. But once again, they're going to reject. They are someone that, that cannot be changed. Now, one interpretation of this is when, when a water, when water begins to flow someplace, you, you can't change it. When water begins rushing, when there's a flood, and this is the image here that's being conveyed when we have this word for water flowing, you can't change that. It's, it's loose. It's powerful. There's nothing that you can do but get out of the way. And this is what David is saying. And then he talks about how he will draw his bow, and the next word is arrows, and the implication is with arrows, like, and then it talks about like that which is, is destroyed, that which is, is just worn out, that which is no longer. So the point here that's being made is that these individuals, they won't be altered, they won't be changed. And if anything's going to happen to them to bring about a change, it's not going to be repentance. It's not going to be the grace of God that changes these individuals, but the judgment of God upon them, that they might be destroyed. That's what he's asking God to do, to pull out his bow, shoot his arrows, and bring about their destruction. Verse 9, 8 in most Bibles. Like, and it's speaking again, like a snail. And then the next word is the word for melting. And we've seen these snails, they kind of leave a, a trail of slime. And this is the word for melting. It's like that they're going to be getting smaller and smaller. But he says here, like a snail melts when he goes. And when a, and this is the word, nephel eshet. Eshet is a woman. Nephel is that which falls from her. So it's speaking about, it's an idiom for a miscarriage. So as a miscarriage that does not see the sun. So when we look at this verse, what he's saying here is this. 
David is saying, make them as a miscarriage. That they no longer have life. That they're going to get weaker and weaker, less and less. They're going to dissolve. That's what David is praying for. Why? Because these individuals are hindering him. They are attacking him. They are against David's righteous walk. And now we see another image of judgment. Look, if you would, to verse 10 in Hebrew, 9 in other translations. It says, Before your pots will understand the, the uh, thorns. Now, the image here, and here again, the Hebrew is very difficult in this psalm. What it's saying here is this. When you, you heat a pot, oftentimes they would use, think the old English word is like bramble. It's that those thorns and things, pieces of, of, of thorns and maybe wood and such that you use to, to set a fire in order to heat up a pot. That's the description that he's using. And he says, before they will understand who's they, your pots, the, the thorns, meaning before the thorns are consumed, the heat comes from the thorn, what will happen? It says, as raw, this is where high life, but in this case, it's speaking about uh, that, those plants in the pot that are green, that are alive, and alive meaning they're fresh. And then we have like the haron, Haron speaks about the anger, the wrath of God, but the wrath of God is oftentimes spoken of as fire. So whether something is, is burnt up or something is very fresh. Now, the point is something that is fresh, what's going to happen to it? Well, it is going to be something that, that burns at a different rate than those things that have already been been burnt up you might say already been well done so whether it's it's raw or whether it's well cooked let it be notice what he says let it quickly be be like a storm that passes so the image here is this we're talking about heat a pot that that has been been prepared there's that that source of of heat that's going to be lit those bramble those thorns that that wood and it says basically let that bring about the destruction of what's in the pot quickly whether it's something that is is raw or something that's already been cooked thoroughly let it dissolve is the implication let it be no more in a very fast way verse verse 11 in hebrew 10 in other languages because of God's ability to judge, it says, the righteous, he will be glad because of the perceiving of the vengeance, the retribution of God. And it says, his steps. Now, that's literally a lot of Bibles will say his feet. But it's literally the word for steps he will wash in the blood of the wicked, meaning this. The image is this, that the wicked are going to be slain. The righteous are going to tread over them. 
This is an image of victory, trampling over the, the corpses of the wicked. And that's why it says the steps we might have are going to, to drip with blood. Now, some will say they'll wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. You want to translate it that way? The implication is the blood of the wicked is going to be trampled upon by the righteous. That's the promise God is making. Last verse, verse 12 in Hebrew, 11 in other Bibles. And man will say, now we're seeing not man rendering judgment, but man responding to the judgment of God. What will man say? Well, notice, man will say, surely. And then we have the word pre, which is fruit. Now, this is the outcome. And it says the fruit of the righteous, meaning this. When you walk righteously, when you belong to God and you obey his standards, when you are demonstrating that you are on his side, obeying his word, then you are going to see witness firsthand the destruction of the wicked, God's vengeance upon those who are in opposition to him. Last phrase, but... There is two God judges in the earth. And what it's simply saying is, surely there is to God this, this judgment. Now, it's the word shoftim, which is judges. And what it simply means is that God is going to have multiple expressions of his judgment in this world. It is going to be an abundant judgment that God at the right time, upon the right ones that God's vengeance is going to be manifested. So let me simply conclude by, by saying these things. First of all, it is appropriate at times for an individual to pray, God, judge these individuals, not us taking it into our hands, but asking for God's vengeance to fall upon those who we have been convinced that they are, are retrobate, they are unrepentant, and they will not change no matter what. They will not ever pay attention to anything that is of God. Secondly, God and God alone is appropriate to judge. Now, we're not talking about evaluating. Many people get these two concepts confused. Someone will say, you know, what you're doing is wrong. They'll say, don't judge me. You're not my judge. Judgment is not a matter here. This is evaluating. This is saying, compared, comparing that act to the standards of God, it is wrong. We are always able to do that. We are called to do that. That is calling someone to repentance. Now we do so in love, not wanting to see them punish, but wanting them to repent. So it's fine. It's not judgment for us to evaluate and saying this is outside the standards of God, the will of God. That's not judgment. But there are times when a congregation, when individuals of certain authority, that they have to put discipline, a form of judgment, discipline, and uphold the standards of God. And some of the commentators say just that. That David is saying, God, 
you uphold your standards in this situation. Because if not, remember the inscription. If not, David is saying, it is going to lead to my destruction. So a very significant psalm. One that we need to ponder. One that we need to read over and over and understand the mind of God as David shared in this very important psalm, Psalm 58. Well, until next week, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.